You know, last week, Saul Cruz was here, challenged us, exhorted us. It's awesome hearing Saul. You know what that does to me to have one week out of the pulpit? I don't care how good he is. I'm about ready to explode. I think two or three weeks in a row, I think I'd wither up. I really do. It's, it's amazing uh, when God gives you the privilege and passion and open up at his word. Uh, missing one week is, it's like me missing a day's worth of meals. It's just not good. We got something this morning in God's word that is, uh, it's awesome. It really is. It's, again, I tell you this a lot and I'm sorry, but you know, I, I get into it and I study and I just realize there is so many nuggets for us here today. And I want to begin by saying you know, this is a bit of a talk to the family. It's a bit of a talk uh, to God's people. Those of us, by God's grace, who know who we are in Christ, who know we're a part of the family. And these are some of the privileges and some of the blessings, even through hard times of the family. And for those of you who may be wondering about all this or maybe here and not sure where you stand with God, uh, I hope that this morning is, is, is whetting your appetite. I hope that the Spirit is here just tugging at your heart because... This really is for God's people and uh, for all those who, who our hearts are stirring for God. Run to Him and He runs to you. It's a great reality. Everyone loves a parade. Well, at least yesterday everyone loved a parade. Yesterday was the Maitland Little League opening day celebration parade and festivities. And, you know, every year it comes around, and every year it seems awfully early on a Saturday morning. Uh, I had to have my vehicle there at 7.15 to get decorated and to uh, uh, throw kids in it. We start at Maitland Middle. uh, uh, We make our way down Horatio, and we come through Maitland, and we go down uh, uh, Maitland Boulevard all the way out to Keller Field. And there's everybody from the T-Ballers to the Juniors, and there's tons of cars, and and it's typical our area over the top. There's limos, there's boats. I mean, there's there's floats. I mean, it's it's over the top, but everybody loves a parade, and it's awesome. And we get there, and it's kind of like the community's all gathered, and we're all there. We're all anticipating a new year, and of all years of celebrating a parade, we had a lot to celebrate. I mean. Last year, we went all the way to Williamsport in the Little League World Series, and that meant the fact that a lot of people had to say thanks, and Sid Cash preached a lot longer than I've ever preached in my life, all right? He's never going to be able to say anything about me again, so you remind him of that, uh, Sid Jr. In a lot of ways, yesterday was kind of like the zenith of Little League. I mean, the kids' uniforms hadn't been dirty yet, and they all just looked pristine, you know, for about... 10 minutes and they got in the clay and they were already were dirty. And, and, you know, the parents were sitting there and, and they were smiling. No one yelled at the umpire yesterday and no one were questioning coaches' calls yesterday. We didn't play baseball. I mean, we just kind of had a parade. It was awesome. And really, from here on in, it, it'll probably feel less and less like a parade and more and more like a competition because it is all about the kids sometimes. You know, the Christian life, we kind of would like it to be a parade, wouldn't we? I mean, the balloons, the pageantry, the, the joy of walking with Jesus, and, and you want this great parade. But in reality, oftentimes, it doesn't feel like a parade. I mean, I mean the pain in life is so great, and the realities that, that, that we face, and, and the struggles, and the hurts, and the darkness, and it just doesn't feel like a parade. It, 
Not yet. I mean, we're marching toward home, and there will be a day when it will be much more parade-like. But Peter's going to do this. This is where we are with Peter. I mean, Peter is going to tell us very quickly uh, who we are in Christ and, and show us a picture of who we are. But then he's going to tell us, basically, that you're going to suffer. Christians are going to suffer. And this is what ha- is happening. And really, a lot of what is happening when Peter is writing this letter are good people, I mean, Christian people, redeemed people, God's people are hurting. And you know what? They're suffering as Christians because they're Christians. And some of them are wondering, did I miss the parade? Did I miss the parade? I mean, is this this what it's all about? And so Peter's going to write to them and exhort them and say, you know what? You're going to have various trials. You're going to have serious suffering, but there's hope. There's hope. There's stand firm, Peter tells us. Stand firm in the midst of the fire. We're going to look at God's word. First Peter 1, we're in verses 6 and 7 this morning. First Peter 1, God's holy and infallible word that he has given to us to lead and guide us says this. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. And again, we're kind of starting off here saying, in what we greatly rejoice. If you weren't here a couple of weeks ago and heard the life-changing message then, let me encourage you to, they're always on the, uh, on the web. Uh, you can get them. Um, but in what? In what can we uh, greatly rejoice? Well, if you look back to verses 3 through 5, Peter is going to, even 1 through 5, Peter's going to paint a picture of who we are. And he's going to, he's going to tell us some incredible things about who we are in Christ. And that's important for us to understand this. If you haven't been here, we've talked about it. It's, under, it's important for us to understand who we are before we understand what we do. Okay, So we've got to know who we are. And Peter is going to give us some descriptions of who we are as God's people that are very, somewhat unusual. He calls us, that he says that we are chosen we are God's chosen people, um, not because of anything in us, not because anything is good in us, but God has chosen us. He calls us that right in verse 1. But he also calls us aliens. He calls us those who are strangers, those who really this world is not your home. Um, you have been made for something greater and redeemed for something even better. And so this world is not our home, and we are aliens, we're passing by, we're sojourners, but we are chosen. And then he goes on to tell us that we've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, we've been cleansed. In verse 3, it tells us that we have been born again, and that we have been born to a living hope. In verse 4, it tells us that we have an inheritance which is imperishable. And verse 5 says that all that God has entrusted to us has been protected by the power of God. We will not lose it. And so then Peter says in verse 6 this, In this, in what? In the fact that we are chosen. In the fact that we are aliens. In the fact that we have been redeemed. In the fact that we are cleansed in the blood of Christ. In the fact that we are dwelt with the Holy Spirit. In the fact that we are His and our inheritance cannot be lost. In the fact that we have a living hope. Listen, no matter where we are, we're going to see this. We have a living hope. Because we have a living hope in this, rejoice. Even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor 
at the revelation or the appearing of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, in your, in your just manifold wisdom and in your abounding love, you've told us who we are in Christ. And you, you've painted a picture that, that words can't describe. And, and when we sing songs like before the throne of God above, I, I just can't help but marvel at a love that you have lavished on your chosen alien children. And the Father, we have a living hope as a reality, but God, we're suffering, we're hurting, and it's true of our body. It's not just true of Peter's day. I mean, there's people here today that are suffering. They're suffering raising their children. They're suffering with health issues. They're suffering with a sin around them. They're suffering with a sin that indwells them still. We're suffering financially. Some of our marriages are suffering greatly. Father, some of us are suffering silently, and some of us are just suffering where we're screaming out. But God, we live in a world where there will be suffering, and I thank you that you realize that and you remind us that we have a living hope. And Father, what we need this morning is not some preacher telling these folks to, uh, to feel good and, and, and to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. God, what we need this morning is, is you and your voice. We, we need to hear from a loving, tender God who, who reminds us it's okay. And reminds us that he's with us. And so God, would you open up our ears Would you open up our minds and would you open up our hearts? Would you empower our feet to embrace and to hear and receive truth? Father, would you be pleased to speak through a broken vessel and and, and one who desperately needs to hear this message? And God, would you use your words to make us more like Jesus? The things that are said that contain the truth, God, make us more like Jesus. The things that are just my opinion, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. We pray that you and you alone would be glorified. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. The first thing that we start off with, it's, it's, it's paradoxical. It really doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And it's this. The first thing we see is that suffering has a joy for a Christian. Now, again, very specifically, this isn't universally for all people saying suffering has a joy, but uniquely for those of us by God's grace who have been called according to his purposes, uh, he has given us in the midst of our worst day, listen, and our deepest sorrow, there's a joy. Well, how can it be? Well, in verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. We're going to be talking about rejoicing, singing God's praises in the midst of suffering. How can we sing God's praises in the midst of suffering? Is it disingenuous? Is it just faking it? Fake it till you make it? No. We can have a joy in the midst of suffering. I mean, James, we were, we were here about a year ago. Uh, In James chapter 1, you can flip back a page or two. See James 1 verse 2. James says it this way. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Very same verbiage. Very uh, similar uh, structure here. He's basically saying the same thing. Count it joy. You're going to have various trials. You're going to have various struggles. How? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces uh, perseverance and endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James calls, tells us, count it all joy. Peter says, listen, rejoice. Only way we can do it. It's important. We get this. The only way we can do this is if we understand the picture of who we are today and the picture of who we will be tomorrow. Okay? 
It's very, very important that we understand this picture of who we are today and the verbiage that Peter tells us in these first few verses of who we are, sinners like us, and yet how this blessed God sees us is unbelievable. It makes me think of the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. As we think of our present position and our future position, the songwriter writes, Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, endureth, Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine when 10,000 beside. The reason we can have hope, the reason that we can have joy is that we have a living hope. Look again in verse 3. It says this, that we have been born again to a living hope. If you are a child of God, you can never forget this. Hear it again for the first time this morning. Child of God, we have a living hope. What does that mean? Well, let me first of all tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Peter is telling us, hey, listen, hope beyond a star. You know, just hope. Hope hope is a good thing. And have hope. And when you lose your hope, you might, you know, lose your joy. And then you're all bad. So hope, hope on a star. Or hope in yourself. He doesn't say hope in yourself. You know, you're a talented group of people. You've got a lot of groups and abilities. Hope in yourself that you're going to be able to have a muster enough strength. That you're going to be able to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. That one day it's going to be okay. Hope in yourself. No. Listen, he says this. We have a living hope. What does that mean? We have a living Redeemer. We have a living God. The tomb is empty. Our God lives. Listen, the tomb is empty. Our God lives. Jesus, who paid the price for all of our sins, he now lives to intercede for us. Jesus is alive. He's alive. I got news for you. He is alive. We have a living hope. The tomb is empty. Our hope will never perish. The reality of our present condition. This morning in my devotional reading, I'm in Job 19. The book of Job, an incredibly intriguing book, uh, uh, just the, the beauty of the way that the writer lays out that book. Um, and to see God's goodness through suffering when it's very, very hard to see. I mean, he certainly could have written that song, uh, Psalm 13, that Reggie and Jack did this morning. But you get to Job 19, and he's lamenting of his current situation. And he says something that is mind-blowing He says this, he says, but I know that my Redeemer lives. This is a guy that, this is a guy that lives a long way before the cross. And in in the midst of, 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 of really heavy stuff, I mean, losing his family, losing his health, losing the support of his friends. Having nothing. His wife saying, curse God and die. He can say, but there's a hope that I have. I know. I know my Redeemer lives. Christian, we live on this side of the cross. And we have those witnesses. And we have these years that have gone by. We know that the tomb is empty. Listen, our Redeemer lives. We have a living hope. 
If you hear nothing else, leave here today. No matter how dark it is, no matter how broken it is, if you are His, you have a living hope because Jesus lives. You know, I remember as a kid, it's kind of embarrassing to tell you this, but I remember as a kid when things got really bad, and they got bad, you know, I I wasn't the greatest student at times, and I was occasionally forgetful at my homework, and you know, there's sometimes that things didn't go well. As a matter of fact, I remember, <laughs> this came to my mind, scary. Uh, I remember in sixth grade when I uh, forgot my trombone for the 18th time in a row, probably, and the teacher lined up the chairs in a circle and put me in the middle, and they all screamed, you know, he said, told him, called me a baby. I, mean, I can't remember. I remember, this, I remember the loneliness and the brokenness of, of being a middle school kid. We had tough times. You know what gave me hope? My mama loved me. I'm a mama's boy. And I knew it. You know, I knew it. I just knew that my mom loved me. And somehow that let me get through the day. Is that silly? I mean, just somehow I would just rally myself up knowing that there's somebody that loves me. And I'm okay. And it's so true now with Katie. Just, it doesn't necessarily matter what the church thinks, what the world thinks, if, if she loves me. If I can go home and look into my wife's eyes and she can say, it's okay, I love you. There's someone who loves me. It's okay. That's God to us, the Father. There's someone who loves us. There's no matter what happens, there's someone who loves us and lives for us. We have a living hope. That's our present condition. You know what else we have? We have an imperishable inheritance. Look at verse 4 again. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable. We have a future position that won't change. Our suffering will be temporary and it will have a point and it will produce some things in us. All that we have here is going to pass away, but we know something. Listen, have hope. We know something. Our future is secure. Tomorrow may not be secure. Your assets and your stocks and bonds may not be secure, but you have one thing that's secure, Christian, and that's your future. Jesus is really left to go and prepare a place for us, giving us the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing that there's more to come. We have a sure, imperishable inheritance. Well, not only is, is, is suffering um, have a joy, it also has an end. I love the reality. Look again in verse 6. Even though for a little while, for a little while, some of your little whiles have been longer than I've wanted. I'm still praying for some of your little whiles. And I'm begging, I'm banging on the door saying it's been a long enough little while. But the truth is, is as Paul says, there's, there's light and there's momentary afflictions and they're going to be working in us. But they are for a little while. Listen, Christian, I can't promise you that you're going to leave here hearing this sermon and, and worshiping with us and all of a sudden your problems will all fade away. I can't promise you a specific time. Scripture doesn't say. It just says for a little while. And the little while may be your last breath. But in light of eternity... In light of eternity, it is a little while. Suffering has an end. I referenced it, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. For momentary light afflictions. Momentary. Oh man, they seem heavy at the time. 
But compared to eternity, light afflictions is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all compassion. You know what that says? It says two things. One is this. It says suffering is going to be temporary. It will be temporary. Secondly, it says this. It has a purpose. That's our third point. Suffering has a purpose. Peter says this, if necessary, really saying that it's not just there randomly. I mean, we got to deal, we got to do business with God, folks. Listen, God is God. And what that means is God is sovereign. What that means is God is in control. And if there's junk in your life, God is not the author of sin. He's not the one, I mean, sin and, and, and a fallen world is a result of man's fallenness and sinfulness. But God still is God. He still allows it to happen. He still allows our, 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 our kids to be sick. He still allows some really terrible stuff. But never randomly. Doesn't it feel random? I mean, having you had something to say, God, what in the world? I mean, why? It doesn't make sense. It seems like I'm doing the right thing. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to think right. And look what happened. Why? It seems so random sometimes. It seems so pointless sometimes. It just seems so wrong. And I'm not going to be able to articulate all the whys. And I'm not going to be able to say this is why it's happened and that's why it's happened. But I know one thing for sure. If God's God, God's in control, there's a purpose. Don't know it all. I don't. And, then, and there's some purposes that still baffle me. Why are we still praying for Ken Bradley's cancer? Why? I don't know. But it says if necessary. And, and and it goes on to say that there's going to be a proof of authenticity, that our, that our faith has to be proven genuine. And I mean, it has to be proven genuine. It's, it's maybe like the soils, you know, the, the parable of the soils, the seed that fell upon the different soils, and, and the soil that wasn't genuine. It, it just, trials came, and what happened? It, it, it withered away. And you're going to have to have trials. Why? To prove that it's genuine, to prove that it's real. You're going to have to have it. So the world knows that we believe in a living God. We have a living hope. And I tell you, the gospel's proclaimed when everything else falls apart. But we say, although he slay me, yet will I sing his praises. That's a living hope. And that may be our, our greatest purpose. I don't know. But there is a purpose. And it's to prove it's genuine. Ah, oh, man, I'm going to tell you another story that's going to embarrass me, but... You know, Paul tells you that, tells his folks that he was glad enough not only to share the gospel with his very life. Here comes another very life story. I was right, right around middle school when I thought maybe it'd be cool to wear, uh, uh, start wearing a necklace. Uh, I don't know, my Italian phase, or I don't know what happened, but somehow I thought it would be cool to wear a necklace. And so I didn't have a necklace, so I took one of my sister's. And so I'm wearing my sister's necklace to school, you know, as if you need any other reason to be made fun of in middle school, you know? I mean, what are we thinking? Come make fun of me. I'm wearing my sister's necklace. And so my friends all said, you're wearing your sister's necklace. And I had to say, no, no, it's, it's genuine. It's, you know, it's, it's really, it's a real deal. And I, I try to really make my way out of it to say how really it was, look at how, how strong this gold is. And I pulled on it to prove that it was genuine and snap, it came off in my hands. There it was. I walk back in disgrace. <laughs> I'm a loser. I wanted to prove it. I wanted to, I wanted to have something proven to be genuine and, and, and genuine in a trial. And, and it wasn't genuine. And when the trial came, I was ashamed. God, God is going to use trials in our lives to prove that it's genuine. He knows it. But to prove to us and to prove to the world 
that, that, that these aliens, these peculiar, strange, chosen people, they sing. Although they cry, they still sing. Although that, although that they lose so much, they, they still have joy. It has a purpose. And it's, it's, it's also not just proving authentic, uh, authenticity, but it's also refining and purity. I mean, and nothing is, is, is worth anything that hasn't been tested and, and our faith is the same way. Listen, our faith has to be purified. The greatest thing we need is Jesus. The greatest thing we need is Jesus. The greatest thing we need is Jesus. And anything that is sinful, and anything that we are holding on to that is not right, we need to be purified. We need to. And it feels, the fire is no good. The refining fire doesn't, I mean, doesn't feel good. When I say it's no good. It doesn't feel good, but it's always good. If God is going to dig deep into your heart, a tremendously deep hole and chasm, he will fill it up with living water. It's the story of the silversmith who, who puts precious metal in, into the fire, the refiner's fire, and he's burning off the dross, and he's burning off all the impurities. Why? Because he wants it pure. He wants it of the most worth. That's what the Father does. He puts us in the refiner's fire, and he's going to burn off the impurities. He's going to burn off all that which is going to burn away anyway. And it may feel difficult, and, and the story was told of, a, of a, a person watching a blacksmith saying, well, how long do you know is long enough? How long do you keep it in the fire? And the most incredible response, it has great applications for us, is the blacksmith says, I know when I see my own reflection. Done. And in the fires of our life that our Father puts us in, and the reality is He wants to see His own reflection. The beauty of who He is, and the most beautiful thing that we can reflect is God and His glory. And it's, it's, it's the purifying that hurts. But in the long run, it's the greatest thing for us. It's got a purpose. And in, in, in James 1, it says, it's an amazing thing. It says, we read this a second ago. He says, count it all joy when you're enduring all these trials. In verse 4, let endurance have its perfect result. Listen, he says, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Suffering provides what we're lacking. I mean, is that just, I mean, a paradox? In God's economy, suffering provides what you are lacking to make us perfect. To be an add-on, what we see as a negative, God sees as a positive. And lastly, it provides a purpose resulting in praise and honor and glory. And you know, it's interesting, I, I studied this and I said... I know that not unto us, but to your name be glory. And we're living, we live to, to give God glory. That's why God has created us. But you know what? This is interesting. This is really interesting. Look at the end of verse 7. It says, so that proof of our faith, your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable. I mean, even gold that is refined by fire eventually will perish. We will not. Even though tested by fire, we too will be tested by fire. But listen, our faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what this says? This is, listen, this is unbelievable. This is saying when Jesus appears, having a tested, proven faith will lead to God's Son saying to us, glory and honor and praise to you. O one of tested, pure faith. Wow. It's that well done Good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. And that life changing, the, the, the weight of glory. 
Lastly, suffering has a fellowship. You know, if this is all we had, we'd have enough. But we have so incredible a reality of a Savior. Suffering has a fellowship. Paul writes it this way in Philippians 3.10. Paul writes, when he considers all things lost compared to knowing Christ, he says this, that I may know Him, Christ, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Paul is saying, basically, listen, there's a fellowship we can have with Jesus that we only can have in in suffering. He's basically saying this, you want to know Jesus, you want to walk with Jesus, you will have a special fellowship only through suffering. You ever talk to World War II vets that have fought in a similar theater together? I mean, don't they just got this bond that's that's just like, there's something about, they look at each other and they just know something about, they remember they know they were there. And I tell you, that, that has absolutely bonded them together. And, and we are on the outside looking in, just thinking, tell me the war stories. And they're awesome and they're, and they're spellbinding and they're life-changing. But you know what? We're still on the outside listening. But for them, it's just like we were there. It changed our lives. It's, it's the same with Jesus and our suffering. I mean, there, there's this fellowship of walking through the trials of life that, that unites us to Christ in no other way. I mean, when we're, we're, when we're in the fire, when we're in the refiner's fire, and think of Daniel, when the refiner's fire, and, and, the, and the question is asked, how many do we throw in the fire? When there are three, there's four. And who's that one that looks like the Son of Man, the Son of God? God is in the fire with us. And there's a fellowship in the fire that we can never have apart from it with Jesus because he's there. Listen, he may walk you through the fire. He'll walk with you. He may have you in the furnace, but he'll sit there with you. Isn't it true? I mean, those of us that have been broken, isn't it true that some of the sweetest fellowship we've ever had, I mean, some of our most fervent prayers, I mean, some of the most incredible praises have been when we have suffered because Jesus is so real and near and dear. There's a fellowship, and, 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 and not just a fellowship with him, but there's a fellowship with one another. And that's what this body of Christ is all about. So we talk about building community to reach a community. We're connected to each other. When one hurts, we all hurt. You know that? When one hurts, we all hurt. And that's why we got to be family. we got to lock arms with one another. Because there is a fellowship in suffering. But there's also, Jesus had a joy in suffering. I mean, Hebrews 12, verse 2 says this. That we are going to need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus knew, listen, Jesus our Savior, Jesus our champion, Jesus our big brother knew joy and suffering. Even to the point of going to the cross. He would say for the joy, for the joy set before him, he would endure the cross. What kind of joy is having your hands and your feet pierced? Becoming sin. What kind of joy? It's the joy that comes from having us redeemed. And washing us white as snow. Jesus knew joy and suffering. He was the man of sorrows, and yet he knew joy in the midst of it. Jesus knew that there was an end of suffering, even the point on that cross where he would proclaim, it is finished. It is finished. I've paid the price. It is finished. I've rescued the sheep. It is finished. The just is satisfied to look on me and pardon them. It is finished. It is done. The requirements have been paid. The debt has been paid. I'll never lose one. He knew that there was an end of suffering. 
And he also knew that there was a purpose. Even for Jesus, even for Jesus, there was a purpose in his suffering. Another mind-blowing verse, Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. 5, 8 and 9 says this, Although he was a son, and he was perfect, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. The perfect one couldn't have been the perfect sacrifice without suffering. And the one who now lives to be our high priest, who lives to intercede for us, could not be our high priest unless he suffered like us. Unless he was tempted in every way and yet without sin. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal suffering. He was made perfect. They took him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who's our high priest, listen, who knows your suffering, who's experienced greater than you ever have, who lives to intercede for us. It's Jesus. It's Jesus who allows us now to be seen as blessed aliens, those who have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ, those who have been born again, those who have a living hope. Listen, there is a parade. There's a parade we're a part of right now. 2 Corinthians 2 talks about Jesus and what He has done for us. And He says He leads us triumphantly. He leads us triumphantly in victory. There is a victory parade, Christian. And yet it will go through valleys. The parade will go through some dark places until we are home because we are aliens But there is a parade that He Himself leads us through. And it says to the world this, it says, we are now the aroma of Christ. To some it's the smell of life, and to some it's the smell of death. But we're in a parade. And no matter where the parade goes, no matter what sorrows we have in the midst of it, we're going home. And we have Jesus. And He's with us. And because of that, we have hope. God may be calling you to walk through the valley, but know He walks there with you for a purpose. I'm going to ask the, uh, the worship team to come up, and, and we're going to sing a Jenny Owens song. Um, this blind musician sings a song, I'll walk through the valley if you want me to. And let me encourage you, just take a moment and think about this. Think about your life. Where are you? Are you suffering? Do you know those around you that are suffering? Just just ponder this living hope, this incredible reality that what Christ has done for us. Would you please pray with me? Father God, I close this sermon realizing how inadequate my words can be to describe a living hope. But Father, what I cannot do, Your Spirit can. So even as we close this service and as we we hear these words and we pray, God, would Your Spirit stir for those who, who don't have a living hope because they don't know You. God, stir. May they run to You, confess their sins and bow before You and obtain today new life and a living hope for those of us that are yours, Lord. Some may want to just let go. God, don't let us go. I know you won't. 
and remind us of this living hope. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.